So you know what? That's a great way to start. I said at the beginning of the service today, I don't know everything that has gone on in in your week this week, but I do know that in Christ, we have this privilege of being at peace in any situation. We don't necessarily have to love it. But we're told that there's a peace that passes all understanding that transcends 
our hearts and minds that is found in a relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And a few weeks ago, we were invited to come and see who he is. And that that's what we called chair one of discipleship. So you're going to see there's going to be four chairs here in a minute. And so we, we were charged as a church to be that kind of church that invites people just to check him out. Christians for a millennia have been accused of being manipulative. You know what that means? That the only reason they want to talk to you is because they want to push their brand of religion on you. And I want to say boldly and openly that that is both true and false. It's true in that I want nothing more than for you to know Jesus Christ. But if you say to me, Mike, I am not ready or I don't deserve, I don't want to follow, none of us deserve to follow, I don't want to follow him, guess what? I still love you and I still hope that we can have a good relationship one with another. And sometimes we've lost sight of that. Chair one says, we want to invite you to get to know Jesus Christ. Come and see who he is. Then you find yourselves in chair two and chair two is a little bit further. You say, okay, I want to know this Jesus Christ. So come follow him. Did you know that church isn't about the pastor? It isn't about all the leaders that make decisions that we may or may not agree with. It's about a person, and his name is Jesus. And he invites us to know him and to follow him and to put our trust in him rather than in the ways of man. Because guess what? Man will fail. Man's plans will not go the way we anticipated, the way that we expected. But Jesus never does. And that's amazing. And for some of us, we just need to be invited to follow him, to finally make that decision to go where he leads us, where he leads us, I will follow. I'm not going to sing, Justin can keep doing that. Where he leads, will we follow him? And see, the thing about chair two is that it's really hard to stay in chair two, or it should be. Because if we're sincere in our desire to follow Jesus, he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. You're going to follow my commandments. And my commandments are pretty simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on to say that we should be making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So let me pause right there. If you have never been baptized, but if you've sat in chair two and said, I want to follow Jesus Christ, you got to get baptized. Because if we've said we're followers of Jesus, we should want the world to know that our identification is in Christ, that my family name is now his name, that it's more than my last name of Rose, it's more than any other title I have or the letters before or after our names. Above all, I am a son of the Most High God, adopted as a son of his, co-heir, family member with Jesus Christ. And if I am there and if I'm following Jesus, I should want to make that public statement that I have been made a new creation. So if you've never been baptized, but you say, I am following Jesus Christ, let me invite you to come next week at 9.30 a.m. Come to my office. And if we're too big, we'll find somewhere else. Don't worry. And learn a little bit about what baptism is and consider getting baptism, baptized on the weekend of June 24th and 25th. It'll be a great weekend. You can do it on Saturday or Sunday and we'll bring everybody. 
But that's part of being a chair two follower is that we say, I want the world to know that I am following Jesus. Because then as I move into chair three, I'm not going to make you move, I promise. I'll get one from behind you. But I know it feels kind of lonely there now. Nobody ever sits in the front row. I've never had this problem before. It's great. But see, we get to chair three, and if chair one is come and see, chair two is come and follow, chair three is come and serve. When you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were given these gifts of the Spirit, we call them. Spiritual gifts is the fancy way to say it. It means God has given you special gifts that are to be used to build up his people, to make Jesus great all over the world. And if you're too busy, if I'm too busy thinking about myself, I'm not using my gifts and I am taking up space and I'm making my way backwards. Chair three says, come and serve, come and use who God has made you to be. He has called me to speak and he has called me to try to help a church lead through transition, through change, and through all sorts of various things. Things that I often wonder, God, are you sure you got the right phone number when you called me? But as long as we say yes, he will lead us, and he will give us all we need, as long as all we need is him. See how it works? It's this wonderful paradox of saying, God, I can't, but in you, I can have peace, and I can be useful. And I can make disciples. I don't know everything, but I can invite people to follow with me as I follow this, not just the ways of man. And so chair three says we're going to use our gifts and we're going to use our abilities to make other disciples and to invite people to use their gifts. I look around this room and I know most of you or I've met you long enough to know that there's an amazing group of people in here. Statistics in Hong Kong say all of you are smarter than me. Did you know that? Because Hong Kong is, uh, according to one survey done, I think in about 2005, Hong Kong has the highest average IQ of any city in the world. Pat yourselves on the back. You're part of that figure. But see, then I moved here and then I dumbed it way down. But your gifts, your intelligence, your abilities should be used to help other people because if we're the highest IQ city in the world, you can argue that, I don't care. Then by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we open this word and we understand it, we should be able to give that away to others. As we tell our story from chair one and from chair two, and we've moved into chair three and we say, hey, come with me as I grow together. Hey, come with me. I don't have it all figured out, but I know where he leads will follow. And I know that you have this gift and I want to help you use that to bring glory to God's great name. Because let me let you in on that little secret. It's not about us. It's about him. Because that brings us then to chair four. Nobody's sitting in this row. Apparently the second row is the bad one today. In chair four, so we got, remember, chair one, come and check him out. Come see who Jesus is. Chair two, come follow him. Chair three, come serve. Use your gifts. Chair four is my favorite because it's so anti how we think. Come and go. Come and go. We live in Hong Kong, or maybe you're just visiting, which you made my point already. Hong Kong is also a very transitory city. What does that mean? It means people come and go. 
As I look out over our church family, less than half of you were born here. Less than a third of you have called this place home for more than 15 years. And those numbers can be changed. And as I look out today, it's actually even higher that less of you have lived here for very long. That's a wonderful and a disappointing thing. I was speaking at an, interna- in an international school chapel over on the island on Monday last week. And I, raised, and I asked the kids the question of, you know, we're, we were talking about friendship. And I asked them the question, how many of you are saying goodbye to one of your friends at the end of this school year? Roughly half of the whole chapel, all of the grade fives of this rather large international school raised their hands. We are really good at saying goodbye in Hong Kong, aren't we? And it stinks, but it's an amazing opportunity. I tear up every time I think about all the people I've said goodbye to over the years. I've been here 12 years, and this church looks so different than it did that first Sunday when I couldn't find dress shoes, so I wore flip-flops to my first Sunday at church. And we met upstairs, and we started at 9.30, and we had to finish by exactly 10.30 or we were in trouble. Oh, how times have changed, and my hair has gotten shorter, and my eyes look a little older, and I've got glasses, and all these things. And I have gotten very used to saying goodbye. And for a long time, that bothered me. And it will always bother me. If you say, Mike, we're leaving, we have to go to another country, or it's time, I'll be disappointed and sad with you. But I'll also consider it a privilege to say, while you're with us, it is our job to prepare you to go wherever God has you to make disciples of where he plants you. No matter what position you are in life, you have the privilege and the invitation to make disciples. You have been called by what's called the general call of God. The Great Commission says if you will be his disciple, you will seek to invite others in and help them grow to be more like Jesus as you grow to be more like Jesus. What that means for a church is that I welcome a visitor, and I hope you don't stay long because I want to send you out to somewhere else. As long as you're in Hong Kong, we hope that we can do all we can to help you make disciples of all nations, wherever you find yourself. And it's about building a fruitful friendship, one with another, but most importantly with Jesus Christ. And as Pastor Stan and I and the elders were planning this series, we were like, well, who's a great picture of awesome faith in this chair four thing that we can say, look at how God worked. And Timothy kept coming up. You guys know much about Timothy? We know he's got two letters written to him. And he gets about 15 verses beyond that. And his name mentioned in a few other books of the Bible. And if we don't work a little bit at it, we get confused because it doesn't seem like it says that much. But here's the thing. Timothy was amazing at the come and go. And I know this because as you begin to look at the pieces of the puzzle and you begin to read what was written in most of the New Testament, Timothy's head keeps popping up. And you see how God was using him in weird ways, and in amazing ways, and in powerful ways. Would you open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 16? I didn't put it on the screen because I want us to get back in the habits of reading his word ourselves. Whether it be a digital device, whether it be... uh, a physical Bible, which I stand for and love very much. 
Just grab his word. If you've never downloaded a Bible on your smart device, just look it up. It's very easy and it's free. Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. We'll jump around and, and I'll point out different things about who Timothy uh, is as we go on, but the key things we need to see all happen in five verses. And if we think about it and we begin to process what really went on here, it's pretty amazing. Verse 1 of Acts chapter 16 says this, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple... Already a follower, disciple, fancy way of saying one who follows Jesus. That's how it's used in the Bible. Named Timothy lived. So Timothy lives in Lystra. His mom was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they grew daily in numbers. Lord, as we look into your word, and as we look at the life of one of your saints, may we relate to his story and see how we can follow you and how you might use us as we seek to make disciples of whoever you bring along our path. In your name I pray, amen. Verse one starts with this guy, Paul. Most of us have heard of the apostle Paul. Uh, You know, we like to call him that. Or if you grew up in certain parts of the world, he's referred to as Saint Paul. uh, And that might be more. His ministry encapsulated roughly 20-some years or so, and around 50 AD, about 20 years after Jesus, depending on when Jesus actually passed away, Paul's ministry was in full scale, and he was traveling around parts of what we call today South, Southwest Asia, uh, what is called in the Bible Asia Minor, and he's traveling around there, and he gets to these two cities called Lystra and Derby. And there he meets a young man. Uh, we, we know he's young because by the time he's pastoring his first church, Paul writes him a letter. And Paul writes him a letter and says, don't look anyone look down on you because you're young. So if Paul is later writing him a letter saying, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, we can easily infer that when Paul must first meet him, he's even younger. You with me so far? See, it takes us a little bit. We've got to put the pieces together, but they're there. God's word is a wonderfully wide open thing for us to enjoy and apply to our lives. So this young man named Timothy is in Lystra, but he's got a complex background. His mother was Jewish and his father was a Greek. Tradition 101 from that period, if you came from a household that was what Paul would call unequally yoked, where one of your parents, specifically your mother, was a believer in Jesus and following the Jewish ways, uh, and your father was a Greek, you would be brought up in the Jewish tradition. That's how it normally would have worked. You wouldn't have been well looked upon as a purebred Jew, but at least you would have been raised in that tradition and followed along in those practices. However, if you flip just one chapter before, you'll see that a note went out to all the churches about what was required to follow Jesus, and circumcision was no longer included in that. And that's found in Acts 15. However, up until that point, to be a good God-fearing Jew, you should have been circumcised. 
So here's the thing. This young man named Timothy has two strikes against him in the town where he lives. He's raised as a Jew, but he's not circumcised. He's illegitimate because dad's a Greek and mom's a Jew, so he's not even full-blooded. And we get the, the idea that dad, because dad's never mentioned again. We, the only other time we hear about Timothy's family, it's mom and grandma, both followers of the Lord. Dad isn't in the picture. Dad wasn't doing the things all of you men are going to come do on June 11th of raising our kid to follow a, a right way of following the Lord and of leading them the way and they should go. We don't get the picture that Timothy's dad was present or at least active in his spiritual journey. Timothy had what we would call a complex family situation. Yet by the time all of this has transpired, look at what we call Timothy. You see it? What do we call Timothy? A disciple. Here's the thing. I don't know all of your family backgrounds, but all of you might be able to tell me because this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. I don't want to follow Jesus or it's not fair or it's very hard for me. Everything was stacked up against this guy. The one thing he had going for him was mom followed Jesus, but she didn't even circumcise him when she, he was little. So he's got all these things against him. Yet, in spite of his circumstances, he was a disciple. What about you right now? What kind of excuses do you make for not following Jesus? What if my family doesn't like me or doesn't support my decision? Well, we've been adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God and he will look after us, I promise you. It can be scary. I don't want to make light of that. What if there's this, that, and the other? And we give all these what ifs and we forget that at the end of the day, just as we talked about last week or two weeks ago, last week we had GID, two weeks ago, we were invited to take up our cross and follow him. Where he leads, we will follow. And you know what? The family does matter. Because in the absence seemingly of a father that was affirming potential, conferring identity, showing Timothy where to go, and demonstrating the emotional security that we as dads should do, it seems though that mom and grandma stepped in and filled that void and showed him who is Jesus. And out of that, Timothy was willing to follow Jesus. And he made that choice and he followed in spite of a complex situation. And what do we see that came next? Not only does he follow Jesus, but he follows Jesus wholeheartedly, so much so that everybody around him, what they do? They spoke well of him. Around 50 AD, being a follower of the way, being a Christian wasn't popular. It was dangerous. Because if you were in certain Greek parts or in Roman parts and you didn't say Caesar is Lord, you could be killed or imprisoned. If you were a Jew and you believed that Jesus was the Messiah, you could be killed or imprisoned. Where does that leave you? Having to make a very real decision of, is Jesus really who he says he is? And if so, will I follow where he leads, no matter what that means? For Timothy, we see that, yeah, and the world saw it too. The world saw it and spoke well of him. Every once in a while I ask this question, and I'm sure the answer wouldn't always be positive for myself too, so please don't 
take my guilt onto yourself, but what if I showed up at your workplace tomorrow and asked people about you? Would they know you're a disciple of Jesus? Would they speak well of you? I'm an optimistic guy. I think they would. You guys are pretty amazing. I hope that's the case. I hope that because of the joy set before you, they know you follow the Lord and do so joyfully and do so excitedly. And if there's difficult people, that somehow you find a way to work with them because for these things we have Jesus. And it's not just the circumstances. Dak stacked against Timothy. His mom and grandmother showed him a better way and he followed Jesus and others saw that. I go back and you've heard me say before that I was so convicted the first time I traveled to teach in a foreign country when we asked after six students had come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, why? And they said, oh, it wasn't all the stuff you said. We were just amazed at how well you worked with each other when we found out you had only met a week before coming to see us. How we interact with the world around us is a powerful demonstration of who Jesus is in our lives. For Timothy, those around him spoke well of him because his faith was real and he was living it out. And he was inviting others to do the same. But see, the thing is, Timothy wasn't perfect and he wasn't a King David stud of a man that could tower over others and kill slave lions and tigers and bears with his bare hands. Okay, just a lion and a bear. But you get the idea. We often idealize all these people in the Bible as being superhuman. And I love the story of Timothy. You know why? One, because it tells me that I should drink a glass of wine before bed at night. And I think that's great. But much more, because I can so relate to a guy that gets sick a lot and that feels very frail and feels very weak. But you know what I don't find anywhere in Scripture? Timothy or anyone else making an excuse for Timothy. What I find is him popping up, leading, shepherding, teaching, and helping people go where they, wanna, where they need to go toward Jesus Christ. His health did not prevent him from faithful service. His circumstances didn't prevent him from faithful service. By the way, this is not a call. Don't superimpose what the Bible says and turn it into something that it doesn't say. This is not me saying, get rid of all water in your life and just drink wine. Okay? Just in case you're tempted to do that, that is not what that verse means. So let me put it in a language you understand. My family has a wonderful water filtration system. I'm not going to use the name of it, but you can talk to certain people in our church after service and they'll tell you all about it. But anyway, we know that that water is clean. If you go back 2,000 years and the water and the sewage are often connected, there is no guarantee that that water is clean, is there? No, we have to understand the context of what was happening in the story to understand why that statement was made. Now, you know what's amazing is 2,000 years on, science has shown us that a little bit, not a lot, a little bit of red wine actually does wonders for your digestive system and wonders for your heart and actually can be a healthy thing. Is this me telling all of you to go drink wine? No, that's between you and the Lord. This is me telling you to make decisions 
that help guard your health and put your dependence on the Lord as you follow him. Don't use your health as as an excuse not to follow Jesus Christ. I stand here today as one who has had to learn that the hard way. If you've been a part of our church for the last five years, you know I've spent numerous weeks in the hospital. One of those times, not sure if I was coming out alive. But God said, Mike, now I've got your attention. Follow me. I don't get to use my stomach and all the other issues I have, like nearly tripping up the stairs. I did trip up the stairs and trying to hurt myself all the time as an excuse. We must be very careful that we don't use those things in our lives that are inconvenient and turn them into an excuse not to depend on the Lord to make us useful, not to follow through with what he has called us to and what we've committed to as followers of him. Does that make sense? Because here's the thing. He will give us what we need to follow him. But it's all about Jesus Christ. We're not following Paul We're not following Mike. We're not following anyone but the person of Jesus Christ. And where he leads, we will follow, and he will give us the strength and the endurance and the capacity to make it through each day if we put our trust in him. Timothy had to have learned that. But Timothy, I I superimpose my translation in there a little bit to say he must have been pushing himself hard because he was called to not just manage one church, but a number of churches throughout this area, from Ephesus to even working in Philippi and moving beyond all over Macedonia, all these different places. Timothy is at work and he's mentioned by Paul as going here, 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 and here. I get tired when I start looking at that timeline and thinking that really this is over a 12-year time. The exact time I have been in one place, Timothy was in between six and eight at least. Managing a church and showing people how to follow Jesus Christ. Not making excuses. He was frail, but he was fruitful. Ladies and gentlemen, give your frailty to the Lord and say, how can that show people my strength is in you, not in myself? Maybe your frailty is having a hard time getting along with somebody. What if you gave that to the Lord and said, I will show them Jesus even if it hurts, even if it's not fair? What if that sickness that you've been wrestling with is a way to show people that you can find joy in the suffering? I didn't say it's easy all the time. But what if you can show people there's meaning in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of loss? Timothy was frail but faithful. And he was a follower and a friend. Paul wanted to take him along. Just around this time, we also learn not so long before that no sharp disagreement occurred between two of the giants of the early church, Paul and Barnabas. So go ahead, and again, let's put our context caps on for a second and think for a minute about what it takes to disagree with a man whose very name means son of encouragement. The guy was known as an encourager yet managed to get in a knockdown drag out argument of some sort with Paul. That's impressive. And what we read there, the text in the Greek is very strong that they did not want to be working together. But again, circumstances didn't prevent fruitfulness. They went their own ways, and you know what happened? 
the work was multiplied. Paul then brought along this guy named Silas. And what did the, one of the first things do once Paul brings along Silas? Land up in prison. Yay, right? No. Again, back to our disposition and our attitude and that chair four idea of making and multiplying disciples. In prison, what did they do? They sang hymns. If I'm in prison, I'm not sure the first thing, well, nobody wants to listen to me sing, but I'm not sure the first words out of my mouth are give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. I think I'm going to start with poor me. This stinks. If I'm falsely accused, if I've done it myself when I deserve it. But Paul and Timothy had done nothing but proclaim the greatness of Jesus Christ or Paul and Silas, and they found themselves in prison. And then Paul, not, not lightly, but very strongly, decides to bring Timothy along. Because Timothy was a disciple. Timothy was faithful to the Lord. He's not following Paul. He's going with Paul. What does a chair for disciple maker do? Bring people with them. Invite them along on the journey to come with Jesus Christ. And a chair four guy says, hey, I'm in this chair, and I know it might mean your life changes radically and dramatically, but come on, it is so worth it. You will never regret a day of living, serving the Lord and investing in the lives of others. It's so much better than anything else you could do. And so Paul brings Timothy with him. And Paul then later calls Timothy so many names. He calls him a brother, a son in the faith. We get this picture that Paul has just a special place in his heart for Timothy, writing him two letters because Paul had entrusted Ephesus and the growing number of churches in that area, that region of the world. Paul is writing to Timothy to say, lead them well. And he's teaching Timothy how to be a pastor. At the same time, in a similar time frame, he's writing a letter to the church in Ephesus of how to be a church. He's writing to Timothy to say how to be a pastor. Paul cared deeply about this guy. And he invited him to be a partner. And here's the thing. We've made culture across the world a lot about how qualified we are, don't we? Now, there's certain jobs where you really want qualified people. If I go into the hospital, I would really like my doctor to have gone to a good medical school, right? If I get on an airplane, I really hope the guy didn't just study one course online and hope for the best, right? And so, Ron, fly me well. (laughs) And there's a few other pilots in here as well. So here's the thing. If I want to follow Jesus Christ and I want people to help me, I want to know they're students of the word. I don't want them following a man that's frail like me. I want them walking together following the person of Jesus Christ, understanding that it's all about Jesus. And while we are frail and while we are not perfect, we will work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean we're earning our salvation. That means we're growing to be more like Jesus. And what else does it mean? It means that person you're having a hard time trusting might need someone that believes in them and that lets the Holy Spirit convict them. And we walk along with them, helping them along the journey, not telling them how many times they've failed. 
I've been at this pastor gig for a few years and it's rare that I find people that don't realize they've failed somewhere along the way. But it's much harder to find people that understand that in the midst of their failure, they are still of great value and great worth to the kingdom of God. One of our roles as church members is to equip the saints, to help them see that God can use them. Timothy, frail and always sick, leads one of the greatest church movements that led to us following him, following Jesus Christ today. Had it not been for a church planter like Timothy and Paul, we likely wouldn't be able to be here. Timothy became a partner in ministry, a follower and a friend. But Mike, they're not ready. If the Lord leads them, he will give them all they need and we will help. The first time I met Joyce Samatu was shortly after she had gotten uh, settled in Congo. And she said, I'm so not ready. And I didn't know her well at all at this point. In fact, I hadn't been here long. But look at how God has used an available saint. Now they're seeking to build a new complex that can manage up to 600 people every week and every month to help them see, to give sight to the blind. And if we say, Lord, here's my life, I'll follow. And if we then say, come with, as we follow Jesus together, look at what he could do. It's back to the octopus card illustration that you must be sick of by now. But we either deduct value from people's lives or we add it. I don't see a middle ground. There's no neutral ding. (laughs) You either take or you give. My prayer for AIC is a church that glorifies God by loving Christ, loving others, and showing showing the world how to do the same. That's who we're called to be, a follower and a friend that then becomes a fruitful worker. You see, we sent Timothy, who's our brother and co-worker in God's service, spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you. Not only was he in Ephesus, not only was here, not only was there, he was in Thessalonica, and he's still preaching, and he's encouraging a church that's going through a difficult time full of many trials. We can relate for many of us. And this guy is called in, and they get sent. Now Timothy's basically the problem fixer-upper. And some of you may feel like that. God, I'm tired. People have so many problems. I'm so tired of hearing about them. Why can't they just fix themselves? You ever feel like that? (laughs) If you don't, you're lying. We often wish everybody would be as good as we are, right? And we just hope they give the grace that we wish God would give us. But here's this guy, Timothy, frail, but knew how to trust in God. And Paul and the leaders of the early church saw fit to send him in the broken situations and send him to teach. The letters of First and Second Timothy echo with the call to make sure we guard against false teaching. Don't let anyone divert from teaching this into teaching man's ways. If I give you a sermon of saying, do these 10 things and God will make you rich, please fire me because that's not in here. He might call some of you to be rich because he can use that to bring glory to his great name. Praise the Lord and follow him and do with it. But he might call you to be just as poor too. (laughs) And can we find joy in both? But to be fruitful, 
We have to say, we'll go. You know, come and go. Timothy was sent. We read in 1 Timothy that Timothy was not to forsake his calling, which the elders called by laying on of hands. We send people out all the time. We send missions teams out. We send people when we say goodbye to them. We are sending them out, commissioned by God to go wherever they find themselves going, whether it be home to the Philippines, whether it be back to America, Canada, the UK, South Africa, every other country, uh, Australia, New Zealand, all these places that we have people... I've covered most of them, I think. China. Yeah. Wherever we send people, we should be continually sending out and doing all we can to equip them while they're here and resourcing them, making sure that AIC is set up to be a church that says goodbye a lot and says hello even more. See what I mean? The fruitful worker is one that isn't content to watch people just take up a spot. As our church fills in and more people come, I could be really glad. Yay, look at our numbers, they're bigger. But that's not our ambition, that's not our objective. Our ambition is to point people to the greatness of God through the person of Jesus Christ, that they may know him and make him known. Because when difficult things happen, of which they will, some of you in this room face difficulties where a a loved one is suffering right now from health issues. And you can rest in Jesus Christ. Others of you are being treated just very unfairly in places of work and your employment with your family and their expectations upon you. All, All sorts of things. And you could make so many excuses. Or as Jesus so powerfully said, you could come to him and rest in him knowing that he can give you the strength that no man or woman can provide. The fruitful worker says, no matter what my circumstance, I'm going to let people see that I will follow the Lord. And as we do that, a few things happen. Paul also writes that there's an inward transformation that happens throughout this process, and it's called the fruits of the Spirit. Because as we depend more on Jesus Christ to guide us in how we live, we are full of love, joy, peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because so many of you grew up in environments where these were taught and beaten over your head, you can say them, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And I think I got them all. But you've never put any thought into what does that look like? What does it look like for me to show the world the love of God that I have in me? What does it look like to be joyful when I don't feel happy? Because joy and happiness aren't the same. What does it look like? And I could go through them. What does it look like to be faithful, to, make, to stick with the commitment I've made, to follow where God has led, even if it looks suddenly much harder than I thought? That's a hard thing. I'd love to say I'm an expert at it, but I drop the ball all the time. But we're growing. And as we grow in the fruit of the Spirit, as because our lives are surrendered to Jesus... He allows the world to see that we're different. And what's the most powerful tool of apologetics we have? Apologetics showing people why we believe what we believe. It's that our lives are different, that our lives have meaning and hope forever, and that it's free. Do your friends know that? Do your coworkers that call themselves Christians know that? Are you inviting them to be fruitful? Are you just telling them that they don't measure up? 
There's two different things. I was chatting with somebody recently about that idea of giving people an opportunity or letting them know their deficiency. Which would you rather hear about? Which would you rather hear? If your boss comes up to you tomorrow and says, you're failing, you stink at life, or, hey, I know it's been tough, but there's a wonderful way we can move forward from this. Which of those is more appealing to you? Number two, right? Have you noticed that in the scriptures, it never runs from sin, but it always creates an opportunity to go forward, not to camp out in that sin, not to let that sin define you, but to move forward, to confess and move on, not to make excuses, but to say, Jesus, I'm yours, and I will invite people with me as broken as I am to follow you not to follow a person other than Jesus Christ. And then what do we see? That fruit will bear fruit. The greatest thing in the world is when we begin to send people out that make disciples that make disciples. Uh, I've been a youth pastor for a while now, and it is a thrill for me to be able to say that roughly, oh gee, I've lost count. I think somewhere in the 10 to 15 range of former students are involved in some form of full-time service, whether that's local or missionary work. And over 50% of those uh, that were involved in our youth ministry, especially from years ago when you can measure it, are still connected to a church. I'm never going to put up too much of a fight sometimes if people have to leave a church to go to uh, another one if they've, if, if they've moved away. And so often when students go away to college, my first question isn't how you doing on this or that, it's have you found a church? Have you used your gifts to equip the saints even though you might be young? And it's a privilege to see so many former students following Jesus Christ. That's exciting. And then them going beyond what I thought possible to do. One of my former youth group members, and now she and her husband are doing way more than I've ever been able to see possible. And they've done it by starting with nothing in Taiwan, going for six months, and that was nine years ago. But they follow Jesus, and that fruit continues to bear fruit, and now they're sending out, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows. It's not about us. It's pointing people to Jesus Christ. Timothy moved from being an apprentice to a co-worker that was inviting people to come with him. Sky Jatani, in referring to the parable of the soil, you know, the, the, good, the sower, where some of the seed falls on this ground, some, and we want to be the good soil, He says, the good soil that receives the seed and produces fruit simply represents people who have become what God always intended them to be, creatures living in unity with him that reflect his image and character through all they do. As we do this, as we depend on Jesus Christ, we're made more like him, more in the image of God. The world sees it and wants that. You see, that's different. And our church sees that, and we want to send people out, whether it be next door into the community of Wampo, into as we prepare for what our next steps might be, whether it be at Butterfly Valley or wherever the Lord might have us. Location is secondary to the glory of God. And as we do, we seek to multiply. Dan Spader in his book, uh, The Four-Chair Discipleship, says it this, our goal is multiplication. Always glory of God. That's always at the top. Never lose sight of that. And if we're following him, we want to multiply. We want to reach new people, see them grow, 
equip them, help them grow, just as Timothy did, and send them out to launch new ministries. The greatest thing is if I could send people out, not because they're unhappy with our church, but because they're off doing new things for the Lord. See, I am doing a new thing. Wouldn't it be great if our church just goes in a million different directions of people inviting people to come follow Jesus? How awesome would that be? It would be a constant state of seeing God at work, bearing fruit through us as we follow him. Timothy was frail, but he was faithful and he was fruitful because Jesus was who he followed. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. And your son, Jesus Christ, called us friends. And we get to follow you. And we get to trust you with every area of our lives. And so, Lord, please make us a church not afraid to tell others who you are and share your greatness with them. And, Lord, help us to follow where you lead, whatever the cost. In your name I pray. Amen.